Last Sunday we saw from the scriptures that Jesus was the great king which King David had pointed ahead to. Through the prophet Zechariah, 500 years before Jesus came, God promised the exiles who returned from Babylon that their king would return to Jerusalem. And God gave to the exiles a sign by which they would recognize the great king. He would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. God assured the exiles that when the great king came, he would sit on the throne of his father David and that his kingdom would stretch from sea to sea and to the ends of the earth. This morning, I want to do two things. On Good Friday, we studied how the Passover sacrifice had pointed ahead to Jesus who came to the earth as the Lamb of God. I want us to look this morning at another Old Testament signpost that remarkably illustrated what the death of Jesus accomplished. On Good Friday, we also considered the conversation Jesus had with Moses and Elijah on the mountain where he was transfigured before three of his disciples who were with him. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 31, the gospel says that they spoke about his departure. And you'll remember I told you that word departure in the Greek language means exodus. Moses and Elijah spoke with Jesus about his exodus, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. And so the second thing that I want to do this morning is to connect this extraordinary theme of exodus to Jesus' resurrection from the dead. So let's start with the Old Testament signposts. And in Numbers chapter 21 and verse 4 to 9, we'll read an incident that took place. Numbers 21. If you're looking in your Bibles, it's the fourth book of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. It said they traveled from Mount Or along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread. There is no water. And we detest this miserable food. The miserable food they're referring to was the manna, which God provided every day. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. I remind you that this incident took place 40 years after the exodus from Egypt. And as you can see on the map, 
If you can zoom it in, I'm not sure if you're going to be able to do that. But they are roughly in this area here where this took place. The mood of the people was interesting. And I remind you of verse 4. It says that they were impatient on the way. They had to take a detour. They'd been traveling for 40 years. They were getting close to the promised land. They wanted it to be done. They wanted to be there. Does this remind you of anybody? Parents, when you're on a long road trip and sometimes the kids get tired after three, four, five, six, seven, eight hours and the question comes, when are we going to be there? I don't like being in the car. I'm hungry. I need to stretch my legs. In light of this impatience, verse 5 tells us that the people complained. They spoke against God and Moses. And there were four threads to their complaint. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Okay, it's been 40 years. This complaint is getting old. But nonetheless, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness. Second thing is there's no bread. There's no water. We're hungry. We're thirsty. And all we eat every day is manna. And it's miserable. I need you to remember that those who complained in Numbers 21 in this passage were the children of the parents or were were children of those who had left Egypt And had been forced to wander for 40 years because of their parents' sin. Can you guess what their parents' sin was? Grumbling against God. And here they're doing the same thing. And as a result of that grumbling, God sent venomous snakes among them that bit the people. And as a result, many of them died. See, God's severity in his response to what took place as they grumbled is meant to impress upon the reader the seriousness of sin. In God's eyes, sin is no small thing. It never leads to life. It always poisons and kills, just like the snakes that came into the camp. Now, After a season, however long it was, whatever that time period was, the people came to Moses and they acknowledged their sin and they asked him to pray to God on their behalf. And as he did, God provided for Moses an antidote. God told Moses to make a snake, attach that snake to a pole, and then place it in a strategic location in the camp. And word was sent out to everyone in the camp. If you're bitten, look at the bronze snake on the serpent. Look at the bronze snake on the pole and you will live. Now God's cure did not require an infected person to walk a long distance to a designated location outside of the camp. It did not require someone to undertake a difficult task or to purchase a costly tonic. The cure was simple. Look and live. Now the presence of the snake on the pole did not automatically cure those who had been bitten and were dying. It was not enough that the antidote was in the camp. In order to live, 
one had to look at the bronze snake on the pole. And this is the aspect of the story that pointed ahead to Jesus Christ, revealing how he, through his death, would save. Look to Christ and live. Look to the cross. In John chapter 3, a religious leader named Nicodemus came to Jesus at night to speak to him privately about the kingdom of God. And as they talked together, Jesus told Nicodemus, Verily, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Nicodemus, in spite of all his learning, struggled to understand what Jesus meant by born again. Using the analogy of the wind and how it blows, Jesus endeavored to illustrate to Nicodemus this concept. But Nicodemus was still confused, and he asked again, how can this be? In explaining to him how one is born of the Spirit, Jesus connected who he is, the Son of Man who'd come down from heaven, and what he would do. He spoke of being lifted up. He said to Nicodemus in John 3, 14, just as Moses lifted up, up the snake in the wilderness. And I remind you, the snake on the pole was the cure for the bite of a venomous snake. With that analogy in mind, Jesus then pressed on to say to Nicodemus, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life into him. And I say to you, dear friends, looking to Jesus is the cure For the poison of sin that kills. And that look, that belief in Jesus invites God the Spirit to perform within a person the miracle of the new birth. This is what Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus about. Now this is not the only time Jesus used the story in Numbers 21 to explain who he is and what he had come to do. After Palm Sunday, but before he ate the Passover meal with his disciples, in John chapter 12, Jesus spoke a second time and used and referenced this story. John chapter 12, and I'm reading from verse, beginning to read at verse 23. He's in the temple. I'm not sure if it's Tuesday or Wednesday. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with the request, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me. 
from this hour. No, it was this, for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I've glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. When Jesus was lifted up, the Father revealed who he is. Jesus is the hope of the world. He's the one who came to save. As he said here, by his death, Jesus judged the prince of this world and he was driven out. Through his death, a great measure of grace was given for Jesus to draw all people to himself. And as Jesus said to Nicodemus, here again in John 12, there is this urging of his listeners, look to me and live. For he said in verse 35, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. And so this Old Testament signpost of a bronze snake on a pole pointed ahead to what Jesus would do when he died on the cross and what he accomplished there. As those who were bitten looked and lived, so we today, as we look to Jesus, believe in him, we are able to live through him. I want us to consider the second part, as I told you this morning, is this remarkable theme of Jesus' exodus and its connection to his resurrection. I remind you that God created humanity to live, not die. Death is an aberration. The temptation of Satan to take and eat when acted upon opened the door for death to sting humanity. And bring us under its rule and power. The reign of death has been an agony. It is a bitter bondage. But on the day humanity fell, God promised a rescuer would come who would crush the head of our enemy. And that rescuer was Jesus. And he knew what it would cost him to save us. He said in Matthew 16 to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Like the exodus from Egypt, which followed the sacrifice of the Passover lamb, so too Jesus' exodus followed the sacrifice of his innocent lamb, of his innocent life. Jesus faced the enemy of death on our behalf, and he defeated it. How do we know this? Because Jesus walked out of the tomb 
Acts 2, 24 says that God raised him from the dead and freed him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. As Jesus' death provided the cure for sin, his resurrection provides for all who look to him an exodus out of the bondage to death. The scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 explains Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, and he's referring to Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man, and he's referring to Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn. And here's this concept again. Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. What does that mean, first fruits? We have a peach tree in our yard. And I was out several days ago looking at the tree, and there are beautiful pink blossom buds all over it. Several of the buds have already opened, and you could say they are the first fruits. They speak of what will soon be true of every blossom bud. And as we look to Jesus in faith and are born of the Spirit, our inner person which was dead to God is now alive to him. The life of heaven is in us. But our salvation, your salvation, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, God promises to complete it. And it is a salvation not just of our inner person, our spirit, but of our body and soul. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 49, to all who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Do you catch the significance of what he has just said? You one day will rise from the dead if you know Jesus Christ. Your body will live again after death. And this is because Jesus is the second Adam. He lived the, the life we could not die, we could not, and when he died in our place, he died the death we deserve. And when he rose from the dead, he did so in order to lead a great exodus out of the realm of death and into the kingdom of God. Colossians 1 says, He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. See, the exodus of Jesus that we participate in when we look to Him, this exodus not only changes our life after death, it changes how we live in the here and now. Death is no longer a bitter agony. It's not a dreaded enemy. The sting of death is gone. And this is why the follower of Jesus lives boldly. This is why when we die, we do so triumphantly. For we know not just 
a glimmer, tiny little speck of a hope. We know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We still weep when a loved one who knows Jesus passes, but our tears are not tears of despair. We mourn, but our grief is tempered by the hope of what our loved one has gained, everlasting life. Because the sting of death has been removed by Jesus, followers of Jesus, we stand firm in our faith. Nothing moves us. This is why we give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, as 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says. Our hope, our confidence in Jesus inspires how we spend our life. I've been reading the prophet Jeremiah the last two weeks, and I'm still pondering on this, but I was struck this morning by what God said to the exiles. Like their ancestors, when, whom God brought out of Egypt, God promised the exiles that he would lead them out of Babylon. He said in Jeremiah 29, 10, and 11, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Now before he promised this, God gave to the exiles clear instructions. He said to them, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And I see a connection between what God said to the exiles in the days of Jeremiah and what he said through Paul to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. Be steadfast. Stand firm. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor is not in vain. Because of our hope in Jesus, we invest our lives in this present time, in our town and region. <clears throat> it's why some of us serve in health care and at this moment are on the front lines. It's why some of us teach children and youth, understanding the importance of preparing them to take their place in society. It's why some of us work in various service industries and businesses where we are the presence and light of Jesus as we help to build a thriving culture. It's why we're planting seeds in Grace Garden, that there might be a great harvest to give to the food bank. It's why when this crisis is over, we'll again open our doors and serve breakfast through Big House Breakfast. It's why we're supporting Jen Taylor, Rebecca Welsh, Rick Wismer, Nancy Carriger, the church that called us. We want, every people, we want people everywhere to know our good God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He has risen. And because he lives, we too live now and forevermore. 
May the name of Jesus be praised.